All right, so I'm back with Carla Valentine. Carla, thanks for sticking around to talk about some pathologies. You deal with some extremely interesting stuff on a daily basis. This is your job. Mm -hmm. Um, So we talked about sweeps, cancer, the scrotum. You can also check out your YouTube video on that. But there's also this very interesting, now this isn't so much a pathology, but this was an interesting concept that I saw in several places, um, and that Mm -hmm. is uh, the Lacan de Seine, which is a woman who committed suicide her death mask was taken um, by, I, I believe, uh, well, you'll tell me who it was, a, I'm sure. French, yeah, I think a, a, French, a French pathologist. Okay, uh, was a French pathologist. Sort of, okay. you know, yeah, became enamored of her face, basically, because it was so, it had this look of kind of serenity on it. And so theoretically, this is the idea is that he took a death mask of the face, which is quite common during those, that era. Um, for his own personal use, presumably, but obviously it's, um, it kind of exploded and became very famous. Well, and, here's, and this kind of goes into the whole sex and death thing that you like, sexual gaze, mm-hmm. because that's kind of what made him yeah. take the death mask initially. But the fact that it was yeah. replicates, you can kind of explain that, but this was in people's homes. This was works of art, you know, in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, and now, now it's the face on CPR dummies. Um, I mean, this is a That's very right. long-lasting impression. Why do you think that happened? How, why, what happened there? It's, it's such an odd thing, isn't it? Because this, yeah. this woman, you know, obviously committed suicide. Um, reasons unknown. I don't think we ever, well, we don't know who she is. This is why she's called Lancona de la Seine, the unknown of the Seine. Um, and she, whatever it was, she physically must have encapsulated how a woman was supposed to to look and you know possibly even behave because if you think about the era you know she was very silent because she was dead and very serene looking so when when the death mask was taken she kind of became this fashion icon a little bit and there were people in countries you know far reaching sort of germany um and czechoslovakia as it was at the time who saw her as as a kind of a style icon, like we would see Kate Moss, or I don't know, some people may see Kim Kardashian. Um, and I, I think it was just to do with this look of, you know, femininity, um, peacefulness. It's a very strange, strange thing. And for whatever reason, the face became so iconic that um, we now use the same face, the same mould on what we call our recessy Annie dolls or recessy Anne dolls. And they're the dolls that pretty much everybody across the world will use to train um, for CPR. So, you know, people may not realize, but yeah, that face came from somewhere. And um, and it was from this this um, woman in the, in the River Sand many, many years ago. Well, and talk about like poetic irony that she's on CPR dummies where you're you're learning how to do CPR on someone who may have drowned in a river. Like that's very, yeah. it's a weird coincidence. It is quite, yeah, sort of ironic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. you know, it's sort of, um, she, she drowned and died and people have spent the next 200 years trying to sort of bring her back to life in a way, right. basically, with what they're doing. But, um, but yeah, so it, it's a really interesting story. And again, you know, one of those things that is a link between this idea of the sexual gaze and death, because, you know, there would have been many, many different women um, and people who would have washed up in the river Seine. it was a popular place for people to to commit suicide there was of course the paris morgue which is where people literally used to go for a day out 
to watch, to, to go and see the dead bodies. You know, it was busier. The Paris morgue was busier than our London Eye. Um, people used to sell croissants and, and things like that because there were so many visitors to the morgue. So there could have been any number of people that were chosen. But this one woman in particular caught the eye of this pathologist and she just seemed to have that look that encapsulated, I guess, what every woman wanted to look like, despite the fact that she was dead. So, um, yeah, so her legacy still lives on after all these years. And you call her the most kissed corpse of all time, uh, which is very strange. Um, But I guess it's true. And and this kind of goes back to the the Mm -hmm. Michael Myers mask. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but that was the mask he wears (laughs) is William Shatner, um, which isn't a death mask, but it's, you know, it's the same idea. It just kind of looked a bit like William Shatner mixed with, you know, the Rissusiani, though, it doesn't look totally like William Shatner. I think it's got a bit of a Rissusiani look to it. But, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. But at least with, you know, with Michael Myers, it was meant to just be horrific. Whereas with Rissusiani, there was this, <laughs> this added eroticism level, you know, sure. a little bit like the wax anatomical venuses of the 1700s. They had very similar faces, quiet repose, slight look of ecstasy certainly peaceful um you know so maybe it's just something that everybody is aspiring to (laughs) they all want that look of quiet repose there's a podcast (laughs) i did on count carl von kossel Mm. which have you heard of him Uh, oh yeah absolutely yeah uh, this has got to be in your research i absolutely yeah Yeah, one of the most famous necrophiles because of um his obsession with the the spanish woman and uh yeah I, i know exactly what you mean yeah yeah, that's. I want to make sure that was in. If you're doing a master's degree on the sexual gaze yeah. of human remains, yeah. he should be your poster child. Yeah, I will listen to that podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something else. Um, so let's move on to teratoma, which I'd heard of this before, mm. but you kind of go into some pretty interesting detail. So explain what these things yeah. are. So a teratoma is um, a literally tr- well, it's a, it's a type of tumor. So anything with tumor at the end tends to be. Um, And it's often called the monster tumor. And it is a tumor that is made up of pluripotent stem cells. And what that means is that stem cells have the ability to become any type of tissue in the body. And, you know, there's an awful lot of stuff in the news about stem cells. So if those stem cells can become anything in the body, it means they can become materials such as teeth, eyeballs, hair, um, and those things can actually grow within the teratoma so they are usually found in ovaries of women possibly due to the pregnancy sort of connection you know the idea that this is where life forms um and they used to be absolutely humongous the the example that i have in one of the youtube videos is as big as my head which is terrifying because Although ovaries can sometimes feel like they're huge for women who, you know, suffer period pain or whatever, they're actually only the size of almonds. So to have a teratoma mm. that is the size of a human head within your body is quite terrifying. Um, so we have a couple of examples. The one I, I choose to talk about is the biggest, as I say, is the, the size of my head. It was removed in about 1974, I think. Um, and I think nowadays we, we, we do see them. We don't tend to see them quite so big. But what can be really 
um, interesting about terratainment is that they can actually be the shape of, of humans, kind of. So they can have arms, possibly one leg, one eye, a couple of teeth, a bit of hair. And when they are shaped like that, they're known as homunculi, which means sort of like tiny human. And they're not humans. They're not babies. They, they'll never grow to be babies, but they are just mm. shaped like humans. So they are... They're, there's something that's sort of terrified, um, I would say, generations of people, but even like the ancient Greeks used to refer to them. Um, this idea of the vagina dentata even came from from teratomas. So, yeah, they are they are very unusual um, and very freaky looking things. So that was one of one of my favorite things to kind of bring out on Halloween, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the, ter- the teratoma, the, mon- the monster tumor, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and you've got severed heads in your collection, so the fact that you would bring this out in Halloween tells you just how creepy they are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the severed heads are nothing compared to this tumor. Yeah, because it has hair. You can see the teeth and you can see the hair. I mean, it's literally just missing an eyeball, and it would look like, um, you know, the oh, guy from God. The Goonies, the one that was yeah. dropped on his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, but, um, it's just, but I think it's the sheer size of it, though. It's the idea that a woman would be walking around with something like that in her body. Um, and not have it removed for a while and for it to, to grow that big. Because you can imagine having something like that in your testicles, you know? No, It's, no. it's pretty scary, yes, yeah, it will. It's really you don't want to imagine scary. it, but yeah, it's very scary. Why would yeah, you so say that? Me. Why would you say that? Well, just to freak you out, That's you know, just because which <laughs> because why is it, why is it always the woman who suffers? No, but basically, we don't tend to have that that, that kind of problem anymore. These teratomas, they, they're usually found when they're a lot smaller, and they can be removed a lot early on. So, sure. which is a good thing. <laughs> well, and going back to my horror movie thing, at any point in time, mm. I would be under the impression that thing could spring to life. Well, I was going to say, if it's, yeah, if it starts winking at you or chomping at jaws, then you really need to run. <laughs> it's like critters <laughs> or yeah, gremlins exactly. or something like that. Yeah. Wait, yeah, hold on. You've seen critters? Happen. You've seen critters, but you haven't seen Weekend at Bernie's? I haven't seen Weekend at Bernie's, no. Oh <laughs> really, really do. Yeah, I'll watch it. It's my homework from this podcast, so I will watch Shaking Weekend at Bernie's. my head right now. <laughs> Oh, all right, moving along. Let's talk about grave wax because this is the, yeah. this fascinated me. I'd, I'd heard the term grave wax before, but I didn't know exactly what it was. Now that's a colloquial term, uh, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, please, you got to describe this. This is very strange. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, grave wax is something that we technically we call it adiposeia, and that comes from the Greek. Um, adipose means fat, and sera means wax. So adiposeia basically means fatty wax. So that's a nice little um, summation of what it looks and feels and kind of smells like. So adiposea forms on the deceased when um, a process called saponification happens. Saponification means to turn into soap. So obviously it's not really becoming soap, um, but it is becoming this kind of fatty, waxy substance. And it tends to happen when there is moisture involved. So lots of um, dead bodies who are submerged underwater, they will end up with some adiposea usually. Um, or it could even be a very humid climate. Um, and also um, babies, it's quite sad, but usually maybe around 100 or 30 years ago when people would have still stillbirths and possibly hide them in the houses, um, because it was obviously frowned upon to have a baby out of wedlock. Those babies, because of the high fat content, they would end up covered in adipose here. 
So it is something that we still see, usually in adults, which have had a lot of moisture um, involved, you know. But um, we we have a good couple of examples of them in our forensic collection. A man who was found in uh, a sort of sewage tank was covered in adiposphere. Um, but there was one scientist that actually used to make candles out of it, and he would use those candles to light up his dissections where he would show students, you know, dissections of bodies. So it's kind of a strange way of recycling the adiposphere in, in a, you know, a sort of weird setting that kind of makes sense. But, um, yeah, it is a very strange substance and it has a very particular smell to it. And it's, so it's basically like soap, right? I mean, like it becomes... Yeah, I mean, it's more like a wax than a soap. I mean, but the Mooty Museum in Philadelphia, for example, they have a woman in their collection that's completely covered in adipose, and they call her the soap woman. And they actually make little soap bars that are the shape of her, which I've, I have one. Mm, one of the curator gave, um, gave that to me. But it really is more of a kind of wax. And as I say, it can be made into candles a bit like beeswax can. I mean, obviously you wouldn't do it nowadays because, it, you know, that would just be heinous. But in the 1800s, some, you know, enterprising scientists who thought, well, we need to show dissections by candlelight. What are we going to use? Oh, we have this to hand. They did actually used to make candles out of the adipocere. That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's just such a weird concept that, I mean, but it's, it shows the, the processes, the natural processes that your body goes through and you have, you know, well, actual there so, tactile functions. Yeah. I mean, there are so many different ways that the disease can decompose. You know, obviously there are the stages of decomposition, but there are, there's, you know, people can become mummified, desiccated. People can become covered in adipose there. Depending on the environment, it really, you know, it just depends. The the example that we have, um, the one who was found in the sort of sewage tank, is supposed to be a victim of the craze, you know, the the, the gangsters in London. Um, and that is a, hasn't been corroborated, but apparently that is, is, is where this victim came from. He was put in a sort of sewage tank by the craze. So I'm going to do a little bit of research into that, and that could be another podcast in itself. Yeah, it sounds like it. Holy cow. I love that. <laughs> um, so now you, you've also have a large collection. and this, I'm just going to leave it at this. You have a large collection of items that have been removed from human orifice. Uh, <laughs> orifices, yeah. orifices. So we don't have to go into detail, but I, I do find it amazing yeah. that you have quite a large collection. I like one or two things. You know, this is it's not a facility, Jerry. It's you got a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's there's an actual whole cabinet dedicated to this, and um, it's we call it the foreign objects cabinet because obviously these are all objects that have been inserted or introduced into the human body um, unnaturally <laughs> shall we say <laughs> and you know it's uh it's it's, it's eye-opening i mean it's, i don't even have to describe it um, because there are all sorts there there's um there's an air raid shell that a man used to pop into his rectum i'm gonna just say pop because it just sounds a lot nicer <laughs> I guess. um air, air, yeah air raid shells um torches um big stones bottles now when you say air raid shell you mean like it like an like an air like an anti-aircraft gun um like a yes, shell. an anti-aircraft shell yeah and when you say yeah. torch you mean a yeah, flashlight yeah anti-aircraft shell 
Uh, yes, yeah, sorry for, yeah, for, for the, yeah, a flashlight that didn't have a bulb in it or any batteries. So the story that the gent told where he, you know, he was out in the middle of the night trying to look for something and then he fell on his torch didn't really, didn't really ring true because there was no batteries in it and no bulb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how the doctors knew there was something a bit dodgy going on. Um, but there's, a, there's an awful lot of, um, there's a lot of other things like, for example, toothbrushes that have been swallowed by people who were overzealously brushing their teeth. Wow. Um, and an awful lot of hairpins that have been placed into people's urethras. And I, I, when I first started to work at the, the museum, I did wonder, I thought, you know, what, what's going on back in those days? I mean, I realised there was no Netflix and there was no PlayStation. <laughs> so was there nothing to do? Was, was this a hobby that people had? Yeah. They just put hairpins into their urethras. But um, sort of with research, you come to the conclusion that, you know, people used to have cystitis and, and things like that. They didn't know what the problem was. They couldn't urinate. There were no adverts on TV, you know, telling us this is your problem. You've got cystitis. So they would, they thought that they had blockages in their urethras. Mm. Um, and so they would do what they could to try and alleviate the pain themselves. So that's why a lot of kind of pen cases and pins ended up in, in urethras. And I think one of the best things about working in, in the museum is that if I ever have a headache or feel sorry for myself because I've, you know, overdone it in the gym and I feel a bit achy, uh -huh. what I'll do is I'll go down and I'll look in that cabinet and I'll think, do you know what? I don't really feel so bad. <laughs> um, it could be worse. <laughs> well, and you say that. So I was, and then I can get on. <laughs> I wasn't going to go into detail, but since you did, my the worst story yeah. but the funniest story uh, it's not really funny. It's tragic, but um, but still funny at the mm. same time. Is you there's a you talk about a guy who was basically he impaled himself on a broom handle, and I believe oh, he was trying to yeah. put you know he took a broom handle and he was trying to put it up the old keister, slowly at a, yep. at a pace that he could handle, and then the uh, mm. stepladder got kicked out and he basically got Vladdy impaled. Yeah. Well, this is something that he did very, very often. This is a this is you a don't know that. <laughs> the point was, it was the well. I don't know how often. You don't know his frequency, so, okay, Carla. I don't think. I don't think off the bat, people just decide to put a mop against the step ladder and go for it. I think people work up to that. I'm assuming. Yeah, that's <laughs> and fair. it was something that he apparently did quite often. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, he would just bear down on it a little bit, and um, and 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 that was how you know he he. He did things, and uh, unfortunately, on this one occasion, the stepladder got kicked away, and he, yeah, he was impaled. And what's quite interesting is that it, um, the specimen that I have shows the mop handle going through, obviously, the rectum into the intestines, through the diaphragm, and then into the heart as well. So it's a little bit like he was sort of pierced by Cupid's arrow, Jeez. only it was a mop handle. <laughs> um, and I call that Don't Try This at Home, and, and I do a YouTube video about that because I really don't know what else to do to kind of deter people from this kind of activity. <laughs> well, I think there's it's a very small portion of the population who that video probably applies to, yeah. but I, I do like your outreach. Um, I think I think the point is that there are different ways. There are other ways to do it nowadays. You know, we sure. have there are plenty of websites. Right. <laughs> you don't need to resort to the mop panel thing. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it at home. <laughs> sure, fair enough. Uh, that's uh, the more you the more you know. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> so you have a human severed human head, uh, the skull of John Bellingham, the only person who successfully assassinated a prime minister. Tell me about that. Yeah, so so John Mellingham's skull is um yeah, he's one of our more famous exhibits. We have many different different skulls as a lot of museums do, but this is this is 
an important specimen because of who he is and what he did. Um, so in the UK, we've only ever had one assassination, successful assassination of a prime minister. And um, it was of Percival, uh, Spencer Percival in 1812, and it was by John Bellingham. And John Bellingham really felt like he had his reasons for this assassination. And I'm not going to go into his whole history, because I'm sure a lot of people who assassinate, you know, members of parliament feel like they have a reason to. Um, but he, he shot Spencer Percival. He sat down in the House of Parliament. He didn't attempt to run away. He felt very justified in what he'd done. Um, and he waited to be caught so that he could go, go to court and, and discuss his case. And um, what happened is that this was on May 12th, 1812. Um, and by May 17th, 1812, he was hanged and anatomized. So that was the punishment for murder. It wasn't enough to be killed. If you'd murdered somebody, then you would be dissected. Because to be dissected meant that you were not in one piece and the likelihood of you getting into heaven would be a lot lower. So it was it was a religious punishment, really. Um, and so Bellingham's skull is in, is in a cabin at the back of our room and it has his name right across the, the top of it. And the reason we actually ended up having the skull, even though he was dissected over at the Royal College of Surgeons, which is a different museum, the skull itself was given to um, quite a famous pathologist called Paget. Many of you will know Paget's disease. Um, Paget studied over at uh, St. Bart's and the skull was given to him because he was a great student. So in my day, I was given gold stars. I don't know about you. Um, but apparently in those days, you were given the skulls of executed criminals because wow. <laughs> you were a good student. Um, and he is now in, in, in the cabinet at the back of the museum. Um, yeah, and it's quite interesting that it's the only time that a prime minister has ever been assassinated over in the UK because I think certainly at the moment, there's a lot of people that are thinking about it. But if I'm allowed to say that... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but we were sure saying. <laughs> but yeah, so he's one of our more famous um, specimens, definitely. Well, that is pretty incredible. Um, so I'm going to close this on one mm. question that involves a human skull. Mm. You don't have to go into detail. Right. Uh, but you have Perry Romberg okay. syndrome, and you used cadaver That's skin right, yeah. to, to um, kind of repair things in your face. Have you? Are you going yeah. to cut off your head and donate it to the museum uh, many years in the future when you die? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm actually an organ donor, so um, it, it all depends on how I die, really. What I, what I would like to make sure that I do is give people it, it, my organs. That's the most important thing because there are so many people waiting on the transplant list and we have an opt-in system in the UK as opposed to an opt-out system. So I'm happy for my um, organs to be donated. Um, which means my corneas, my eyes will probably be donated as well. Um, if anybody wants my skull, I'd be happy for them to have it, but I don't really think that they can learn anything from it because certainly the treatments that I've had haven't been successful. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I don't think I'm this shining beacon for kind of how to successfully treat Pyromberg syndrome. If that was the case and they wanted to bury me, you know, sans my head, then I'd be absolutely happy for them to do so because my whole life, my whole career has been based on utilising the deceased to, you know, to further science. And I would be totally remiss if I said I wasn't happy for, you know, to do that myself. Um, if anybody can use me in any, any way once I'm dead, then I'm very happy to do that. And, and I've actually made my wishes very clear in my will and to my um, family and to my next of kin spouse, because people need to know, you know, if that's what your wishes are, then, then you need to let them know that that's what they are. You are exactly right. What a fitting way to end this bonus episode with a conversation about your end. So, Carla, thank you again for taking this extra time. 
brilliant. Thank you so much.